you know, nine times out of ten, if there were four scriptures that the preacher could preach on, probably nine times out of ten, it would be the gospel message. And so I learned lots about the gospel. Occasionally you'd hear the, the epistles, but Old Testament was something that, you, that they just pulled out like it was a historical lesson, like, here we're going to talk about this, and here's a nice historical lesson, but really no significance coming out of it other than something quaint or, or you know, contrite, if you will. But uh, I've really been enjoying uh, the, the scripture lessons. I've kind of been, been skipping through. And uh, so far in the last three times, I've read through all of First and Second Samuel and almost through all of First Kings in about three lessons. And I didn't stick to the, the notes because I don't like the notes any more than Bill did. So that's <laughs> I'd rather do find my own things and let God speak to me instead of what, what some piece of paper does. Um, but looking at this, the last time we talked about Solomon and his rule, and one of the last kind of parting things we talked about was that, that Solomon's whole, like, reign uh, was, was very ornate with, with building the temple, building uh, the, 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 uh, the palace, uh, putting so much uh, stock into it, putting all sorts of effort and, and arraignment and, and details and more details and everything else. And, and then the last thing we mentioned was how many women he, he married. Hundreds. And I, and I think I mentioned one is more than enough for me, and I'm not sure how it goes to someone's head that, hey, I've got lots of money. I think I need lots of wives. That, I mean, nothing against the wives. I'm sure they were very nice, but that just wouldn't be my first thought. Um, but in doing this, we, we talked about the fact and brought out that his undoing was basically those wives. Not so much the, the women themselves, but the fact that they were from other, other countries, other areas, and it was against what God was talking about. And while they, they were fine in their own place, the fact that they, bring in, they brought in their own perspective, if you will, their own religion, and it was, it was kind of... It was kind of meshing against what Solomon was supposed to be doing of, of being devoted to God and, and being one in, in the Word and being one in the, 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 the God, you know, had God's heart, uh, to, you know, following after his father David, um, you know, to be able to have this, this long lineage and everything else. And what seems interesting is if you read from uh, about the, let me see if I can find it again here. I don't pay attention to numbers necessarily. I was one of those people in, in uh, college that, that I said, okay, do I have to know the, the date? And they said, no, we just want you to know like what happened after what. So I can usually tell you what happens after what. But uh, in the, I think it's the 11th, something like that here. Sorry. The 12th chapter. Um, we start talking about all of the, the kings, and what it's referred to is the divided kingdom. When, when Solomon dies, the kingdom is divided simply because Rehoboam, his son, is, is now taking the throne, and Jeroboam is around that area too, but uh, the, the, the nation of Israel, basically the, where the, the northern kingdom, what becomes the northern kingdom, had basically come and they said, you know, your father Solomon, he put, he put, you know, heavy toil on us, heavy yokes, and we want them lightened. 
And so, so Rehoboam comes and says to the, to the older, what do you think? What is your counsel? And he, they, they said, what? Yeah, no, no, no. The older ones were like, you need to listen to the people and whatever else in order to have a successful thing. But Rehoboam doesn't like that answer. And I've, I've been in those places before. If you don't like the answer you got, go somewhere else until someone tells you what you really want to hear. So he goes to the younger people and he says, says, what should I do? And they're like, as she said, make it worse, make it worse, make it worse. And so he does. And about that time then, after a few years, that all of the rest of them, except for what would essentially be the, the remnant of Judah, leaves. They go to follow Jeroboam. And what, what's really interesting is that when you look at the lineage uh, or not so much the lineage, but basically the, the, the consequential um, uh, series of the kings of both the, the northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah, they're all pretty worthless. I mean, you, you see in, in Rehoboam, you, you get, you know, his, his son takes over and his son takes over, and then they start getting into all these other things, and no one is, is after the, the, the heart of the Lord. They're basically, I want to do my own thing, but I'm in David's lineage, and so I, so I have the entitlement to it. And this all starts with Rehoboam. He doesn't care what God thinks. He doesn't care what, whatever God wants to, to have him have to do. And it's simply like, okay, God said he's going to keep someone in here. So I can do whatever I want because God's not going to do anything different. It's sort of like I've got God by the, the short hairs, and we're going to say the short hairs are the ones on the back of your, your neck, and, and God doesn't really like this. And so you see this, this subsequent thing until you come to, to uh, uh, Asa. Now, Asa is a fantastic guy. He, he reigns for many, many years. I, again, can't remember numbers. Um, but whereas, whereas you're seeing some of them reigning for, for five or six years or 12 years, Asa reigns for many, many years. In fact, if I go back a little bit, I could probably find it. By the way, if you ever want to know the disadvantage to, a, to some of these fancy Bibles is that they have really thin pages. 41 years. Asa reigned longer than David or Solomon, either one. And Asa was probably the only one that you could see not having these, these shortcomings. In, in all of, in all of the, the you know, few verses that there is talking about Asa, Asa is a man after God's own heart. He, he wants to rule righteously. He seeks God. He, he, he listens to the prophets. He does everything that he can and, then you, and as you look at the northern kingdom's line, it's like king and king, and this one dies, and this one dies, and this one dies. One said he lived for three, he reigned for three days. Three days, not even a whole week, three days before someone killed him. And then that started a whole other thing. What we find then is, and I, and I, I point this out simply to give you a, a sense of what it is like to live in the northern and the southern kingdoms. It's a lot of chaos. Wouldn't you agree? A lot of chaos. The rulers do what they want. They say what they want. Maybe you get some years where everything's kind of calm, but it's going to start all over and someone else is going to get their, get their ideas going again. And we come to scriptures about Elijah. Now, you would think that, that Elijah would have like 
a lot of service. What you get is maybe a chapter and a half talking about Elijah. Elijah. Elijah sort of comes out of nowhere. He comes out of the, 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 the place because, uh, I want to get the, them right, Ahab. Ahab is another one of those worthless kings, if you will. But because following in the, in the line of Jeroboam and all of the, the things that we, that we hear over and over, because every one of those kings, is like, they, they follow in the same step as Jeroboam. They're, they're evil, they, they don't obey God, they don't listen, whatever else. And in Scripture, if you ever want to know if God has a sense of humor, read the Word sometimes and, and start looking at things like, as though being out of Jeroboam's house was not enough, Ahab hooks up with Jezebel, which forever will be known as some, some lousy name for a woman who's, who's going to stab you in the back or whatever else. You, you would think that maybe Je- any other Jezebels would be nice and, and whatever, but it doesn't matter. If they're named Jezebel, they're, they're, they're out. No matter how much they try to, to kind of go up, it's sort of like if you're named Judas. I suppose if you were named Judas, maybe that would be a nice name, except for the fact that it's been tainted. Jezebel is of a different kingdom. And so, whereas they, they come together, you have prophets of Baal. They start worshiping Baal, and they start worshiping uh, Asherah. Is that the word I was using? looking here? I'll find it quick if I can. Asherah, yeah. They basically have about... Uh, all of these these prophets, and they basically, they start out dating anybody. I mean, if you walked up to the door and said, yes, I'd like to be a prophet. Okay, you'll be a prophet. Like, ding, you're done. Okay, that's it. No, no calling, no qualifications, no credentials, no nothing. Just, just come in and be a, be a prophet. Well, Elijah, we get a little bit of this, and, and Elijah uh, is told by God, there is going to be a drought. I'm going to not let it rain until I decide so. And Elijah basically tells them so. He says, he goes to to, uh, Ahab and says, there's going to be a drought and you're in big trouble and this is not happening. And uh, we get Elijah going into the wood. There's some some miracles coming, but I don't want to focus so much on that as when Elijah basically goes to confront Ahab. One of the other prophets that's there, Obadiah. Obadiah fears God. In fact, against what Ahab wants, which is basically go out and kill all the prophets, uh, Obadiah is a, is a godly man. He hides 200 of God's prophets. I think it was 200. Some of these run out altogether. Sorry. 100. Fifty. He hides them in caves so they will be protected because there is an all-out war and killing, killing spree going on God's prophets because Jezebel and Ahab don't want to have anything to do with this. What we find later is that uh, Elijah tells Obadiah, tell him I'm coming. And he's like, what did I do to you? Ahab hates you. Ahab hates everything about you. Jezebel hates you even worse than Ahab hates you. If I tell them you're here and you don't show up here, they're going to kill me. But 
because I trust you, because, because God is with you, I will tell them. And so Ahab finds him, and, um, and basically Elijah pulls one of my favorite parts. He's, he tells Ahab, we're going to have a God showdown. You bring in 250 of your prophets of Baal and 200 more of your prophets of, of Asherah, and we're going we're gonna to build two altars. We're going to find out who is in fact God. Is the God of, God of Judah and Abraham and all of those, is that God or is Baal God? Whoever, whoever wins, that's God. That's going to prove it. And he calls them together and says, okay, build your, build your altar because the altars have been teared down. I just want to add this on and you'd have to read through. But at one point it's torn down because the nation of Israel has no desire uh, in, the, in the, the, uh, the monarchy, if you will, to follow what God wants. And so they tear down all of these altars. Everything you, you see, the, the temple, the, the, uh, the, the temple of, of God and the, the house of God, everything kind of gets, gets torn out and sold off and given away and whatever, kind of, kind of sparse nickel and dimed, if you will. And so Elijah comes in and he, he says, okay, so, so build your altar, put it, you know, put a, a bull or a ram on there, and not a ram, but, but pull, pull a bull in. And they pray. They pray from morning until noon, and nothing happens. And Elijah is funny. Elijah says, maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe he's traveling. Maybe you should shout louder. So they shout louder, and they, and they cut themselves, as was the tradition for that, and they keep going louder. Nothing happens all day long. And Elijah says, now it's my turn. And so he builds up that altar, but, but what he takes is he takes 12 stones, and he says, this is Israel. And he puts wood upon it, and he, build, he puts a, a moat or a, or a trench around it and fills that with seed, and he, and he puts the, the wood on, and then he, he cuts up the pieces for the, for the bull and puts it on there. And he says, now go get two large, uh, two large um, containers of, of water and dump it on there. And so they do. He said, no, that's not enough. Do it again. And they do it again. No, 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 that's not enough. Do it again. And they pull two more and they pull it. It is so much water drenched over this wood and this cow and, and everything else that's there that it, that it fills in the moat. And Elijah, I want to, I want to give you this. Elijah said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that the people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their backs. Tar- sorry, turned their hearts back. That's a little different. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And all the people saw it. They fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God.
Yeah, the only, the only part out of, out of chapter 17 when it starts talking, because literally, like I said, Elijah just shows up out of nowhere in the, in the Scripture. And all that the Lord says is the, Lord came to, uh, the, the, the word of the Lord came to him and said, Depart from here, turn eastward, hide yourself by the brook. Um, you know, and the, there's going to be a, a drought. That's all. Elijah goes in and speaks this. Yeah. What? Right. And that, that's so coming. Don't ruin my joke. No. Okay. Now, I want to, this is kind of a message in, in two parts. The first I want to bring out is there are godly people who are drawn away from godly principles because of their environment. I, the, the, the thing that, that God laid on my heart is, is we hold so much to these, these idealistic ideas. You know, that the, the United States is a Christian nation and Israel is a godly nation, whatever. You look at the scriptures and the nation is only godly so long as they are worshiping and obeying God. I want you to look the next time that you, that you think about it and analyze where are they speaking God's word? How does this match up with God's word? Is the prime minister in Israel about God's work and God's, God's uh, o- the obedience of God and his principles in guiding that nation or is everything about we are sitting on the laurels? We are, we are basically Jeroboam or, or Rehoboam saying... God says we're going to be here forever, and so I'll do whatever I want. We have to be the people that are obeying God above all else. Because, see, when, when Elijah goes in, the people recognize this. So they're, it's probably deadly for them to be in this place. And so it's easy for them to say to Elijah, this, the Lord is God, the Lord is God, because they have seen all of this. Elijah has basically called down heaven, fire from heaven, to light this on fire in front of the king and the queen at great peril to his own life. And that's what follows. The one thing that I find offensive, I guess, is the idea that we come on Sunday and yet some will walk away without what God wants to put on their heart, what God wants to do with them. Being, being passive participants. Not just passive participants in worship, passive participants in life, passive participants in parenting, passive participants in, in work, Passive participants and everything else that, that, we, that we put that stamp of approval and say, I'm a Christian. But where, where are the acts? There was a, a song that, that came through. There's a, a couple of them. But one uh, was the, uh, it's, it's the 30th anniversary of a, of a, a, a re- re- record, I'm dating myself, of a, a CD that came out from Stephen Curtis Chapman. And he, and he asked on his, on his Facebook, what is, one of your, what is your favorite song? 
And my, my favorite song off of that one album, it was called Speechless. I like that, that song itself, but it was called The Change. And the, the, the opening lines talk about, I've got, the, I've got the, the Christian fish, and I've got the t-shirt, and I've got the, the, the right things, and I do the right things, and whatever. But the, but the question in the, in the chorus is, what about the change? What about the difference? And I find myself often, as, as many times as I fall, I don't think God has ever let me sit on my laurels because I just am never comfortable doing it. Even when I'm, when I'm angry, when I left the church, God kept pursuing me until I was too miserable to stay away. Because there was so much more in, God's, in worshiping God in God's church, despite that some of the worst people I've ever known sat in a pew and annoyed me on a Sunday morning. Amen? We... No way I'm clear on the back, no. We are in a nation filled with obstacles and distractions and wrong messages. And it doesn't matter who's, who's I, I thought it was interesting. There was a, a story that came up, and it was the, the story about a, 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 a post turtle. Do you know the story about a post turtle? It's come up four different times, and I've, and I've seen this enough to, you know, be with Facebook around. You see him, they, they first referred to George, George W. Bush as a, as a post-turtle, and then they were referring to, to Obama as a, as a post-turtle, and then they were referring to Trump as a post-turtle, and now they're referring to Biden as a post-turtle. A post-turtle is basically defined by this old rancher as a, as a turtle that someone has put up on a post. He does... He, he doesn't know how he got there. He doesn't know what he's going to do while being there. You know he doesn't belong there. But he also doesn't know how to get off of it. Four different presidents, two different, two different parties, and all refer to the same thing for the same thing over and over. Rehoboam wanted to be worshipped. Ahab wanted to be worshipped. Jezebel wanted to be worshipped. They wanted to have all the power and all the control and everything else. And they were in charge of a nation that there were still, and, and it says later, and, I, and I'm going to get to this, it says later in the, in the scripture when, Eli, when Elijah flees and comes back, God says, I have, I have retained a remnant, those who have not turned. The ones that would be the redemption for Israel and for Judah would be the ones that were the remnant. They were the ones that never, never fled internally. They never followed. We see, we see stories out of Daniel, of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and Daniel basically standing up in the face at great life peril for what God had said for them to do. And it was as simple as, we're not supposed to be eating that, or we're not supposed to be doing that, or we're not supposed to be worshiping these, these idols. Simple things, but that was what the kings wanted to, 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 to stake their claim on. We see it in the, in the book of Esther. We see it in, all throughout the rest of Scripture that those who would 
subvert God's will in Israel and Judah would be replaced. And those that adhered to what God wanted to do, that that had God's heart and, and sought God's heart, were the ones that were the successful ones. There was no reason otherwise for Asa to have, to have succeeded for that long except that he had God's heart. And God blessed him. God said that he would bless if they would keep their hearts turned towards him. And now God was having to, to turn this into Elijah who comes out of nowhere. He's just one of many prophets. There, there, is, nothing, there is nothing in Scripture that suggests that Elijah was significant. Elisha little different. Goes into long depth. Bears included. I like that. Elijah comes out of nowhere. He hears the word of the Lord while everyone else is getting killed off. He hears the word of the Lord saying there's going to be a drought. He goes to a widow's house in order to, to, to be provided for because it's in a drought and there's no food. And this widow's going to take care of him. And she says, go ahead and do this. And he, he puts a blessing on, on that on that house, on the, on the flour and on the oil, that, that they would not be out of, out of ability to have food. And even when the son becomes sick and, is about, and, and dies, Elijah, out of this, this depth of, of devotion to what God wanted to do, wanted, wanted God to be able to be manifested and to be glorified in this, so that this widow who was, who was taking all of her all of her abilities to care for him, that this was going to come back. Lord, do not let this boy die, is, is essentially what, what Elijah is giving, and lays his body out on top of this boy three different times. I keep thinking, how many times do we pray for miracles to happen? Do we, do we pray until they happen, or do we just pray that they'll happen? Passive participation. When the, when the Spirit is coming down, do we continue to seek the Spirit or do we say that we want it to be a one-time event? Are we looking at it as a journey and a way of life or an event? We've, we've talked about revival and we've talked about the, the Spirit coming and whatever else. And the problem that I, that I find a lot is we look at it as an event, we want the Spirit to come down and, and do miracles and everything, and then we can, we can you know, reap the benefits and whatever else, but we don't want, we want an event. We don't want a lifestyle because, and, and I, I grew up in a, in a church that when you talked about the Spirit coming down, you were talking so that you had a nice warm and fuzzy feeling when you sang, How Great Thou Art. Or the, or the preacher would say something that was, a, that was a, little, a little uncomfortable for you, and you're like, the Spirit's really moving. I'm going to go on to the next part because that's where this goes, is Elijah flees Jezebel because, of course, killing off basically all of, all of her prophets did not go over well to Jezebel. Because, of course, fire raining down was not enough. The fact was that the prophets were going to lose their heads one way or the other, and the problem was that the prophets of God were already going to lose their head regardless of what came up. I, I always think that's the, ded- the dedication. The dedication is, even though I know I'm going to lose my head, do I still proclaim what God wants?
Right. No, that's, that, that's, that's what we do now. We're, we, we talk and we're, we're good. Um, well, after, after Elijah, after basically these prophets of Baal have been, have been basically taken, They're, they are no more. There is no more prophets of Baal. I always think what a, what a sad thing to show up, to have no qualifications, to be ordained or to be, to be selected as a prophet of something to which you don't believe, you don't know anything about, you're basically going through the motions, and now it just costs you your head on top of it, and all you did was show up for a job interview. So, I, maybe, maybe I'm just... just Tainted for the idea of how long it takes for, took for me to go through all that. But anyway, right, I digress. I say that a lot. Elijah flees Jezebel. He goes into the mountain, and Jezebel is hot on his tail. He goes into a into a. I read through this. I, I paraphrase a lot. I'm sorry. Goes into the wilderness and comes to a comes down to a broom tree. He's not even like sheltered or anything else. He's under a broom tree and he is out of energy. And he falls asleep. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and taps him on the shoulder and says, you need to get up and eat. And he gets up and eats and he goes back to sleep. Now there's a, there's a story anymore. If you ever think that God doesn't, doesn't like work through a nap, Elijah is proof a nap can be a very holy experience. Let me just say that. Never, never feel like you're, like you're slacking off if, God, if you just really need a nap because you have been exhausted and God needs to replenish you, you can take a nap. Kelly. So, <laughs> she's not paying attention, no. So he goes off and, and after he wakes up a second time and he eats and he's, he's there, the Lord says, Elijah, why are you here? And Elijah said, it's terrible, man. I keep, I keep coming up with, like, Mike Warnke thoughts. It's terrible, man. I, I, I came out here, and there's no one left, and Jezebel wants to kill me, and it's awful, man. I came out here. And that's when he goes, i sorry, that, that's when he goes back to sleep. He comes back again, feeds him again, and God again taps him on the shoulder and says, Elijah, why are you here? It's terrible, man. All, same thing all over. And he said, go, well, first, he goes out to the, to the entrance of a, of a cave, if you will, and the fires rage, but the scripture says the Lord was not in the fires. And the earth shook, but the Lord was not in the, in the earthquake. I believe if I got it right, and then the, when the waters came, the floods came. Let me make sure I got that right. I hate to ever... I, I started reading this in one book and then started reading on the computer, so some of these don't always, always look the same way. There we go. Da-da-da-da-da. Earthquake, fire. None of the fire... 
wind, earth, oh, fire, that's what it was, sorry, fire's come. The, the wind, the wind, everything blows, the Lord's not in the wind, the earth shakes, okay, sorry, I'm backing up. And then, there was, after the fire, there was a sound of a low whisper. And Elijah heard it and wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And there was a voice that said again, No, not Noah, sorry, Noah. Elijah, why are you here? And he again says it's terrible and awful and whatever else. I want to point out, we often look for these catastrophic events, these, these earth-shaking, these, these fire-burning, these, these whirlwind experiences. And so many times, God is not coming in those ways. We want, we, do we want a spiritual revival so that we can, so that we can look like we, we stand in the aisles and we raise our hands and we sing emphatically? Okay, I admit sometimes I want that, okay? For the, for the guy that dances up there, I, occasionally I'd want someone else to make me not look like I'm the only one doing it. But we're waiting for lightning, waiting for a change to come about when God is constantly whispering his name to each one of us and we are missing it. There was, a, there was a sign when I was in, in seminary. We were looking for, it was basically where the, the field education office, which was basically a giant way of saying, we're going to claim that you're being educated, but we're going to send you to go to work. And one of the things that was up there, because of course everyone wanted the, wanted the lead pastorate. They wanted to have something prestigious. They wanted the large church, they, because those paid better, by the way. So let me just claim that. I did not get in the great paying positions. I'm going to leave that to your interpretation. But one of the things that said is if you are going through the forest looking for the perfect stick, you may be out of the forest before you find it. We've, we've talked over and over about how, how David was, was picked out of a, a, a litter of kids, if you will, because of his heart, not because he looked like Saul or looked like he could, he could do the job really well. And that was where this came. Solomon comes out of several, several kids that is not even the first in line, but he is the one that has God's heart and in mind and wants to obey and wants to honor him with, a, with, with, the, with the temple and the testimony from whatever he had. And Asa comes out of the middle of a, of a line of, 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 his, of his father's, of his... his um, Sorry, his, uh, we'll say fathers, that's fine. Comes out of, a, out of the midst of several in a line now that have basically dumped on God, and he's like, that's not happening. He even throws his own grandmother. Grandma, who, who erects these, these uh, idols, is not having a place in this place because he is drawing a line. The line is where God's word says it will be. We are waiting for lightning to come in a church where God speaks in a whisper. Yes, it's nice to see the, the events and see people, you know, dancing and doing that. that, that's, that's, a, that that's a result. That's, that's not the event. That's the, that's the, the, the result. That's the side benefits. That's the, the, what am I looking for? 
That's the after effects. The change that happens within us is expressed in those ways. We, we always talked about uh, the, that there were, there were means of God's grace. And of course, in a, in a, a different church, means of God's grace was things like uh, God can show grace through marriage and through baptism and through, uh, you know, ordination and through, through death even. God's grace could be shown, but it was the outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace was, was one that, that was hammered in over and over. And I've always clung to that because everything else is supposed to be the outward sign of what is actually happening. We talked about the the, the Uh, the the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit are the fruit of the tree that the Spirit, that we are established in. It is not a list to check off and say, say, what a good Christian I am because I'm very self-controlled and I'm very kind and I'm very nice and I'm very loving and whatever else and look at all I can do. But if the heart is not there, you you look at all all the fruit trees is the fruit tree because of the fruit, or is it because of the tree? Good fruit does not come from a bad tree. Good trees produce good fruit. If we are, in fact, in the Spirit, it is all of God's inward grace that we have sought, that we have opened up ourselves and thrown out everything that was bad. What happens when you, when you get a good tree and something bad comes into it? It starts eating away. And unless that bad is thrown out, that tree's not going to last. Because eventually, it's going to rot from the inside out. In orchards, they, and I, I remember years ago when I was doing my, my studies, that uh, th- there are trees that grow in orchards, oak trees can grow in apple orchards and peach orchards and, and uh, pear orchards and whatever else. And oaks are great trees, right? They are horrible for an orchard. They are horrible for fruit. you know why? Because it takes all of the nutrients away from the fruit trees. And the fruit trees cannot produce good fruit, no matter how nice and big that oak tree is. That oak tree doesn't belong there. There may be all sorts of attractive things and great-looking things in our society and whatever, but if we stick it in the middle of God's orchard, it is going to sap the strength out of us, no matter how nice it looks. And all you're going to get out of that is a bunch of tables, but you're not going to get fruit. I think some of us like to look like furniture because it's nice and ornate and everyone owes and ahs all over it instead of being the ones that are showing fruit. But I'll tell you what, that fruit is what changes lives, amen? That fruit is what goes into the heart of someone who has been thrown out all of their lives of the church and to be loved and to, be, to have someone be kind to them and to show goodness to them. That is the fruit that changes lives, not that stinking table. The world doesn't need more oak trees. The world needs more fruit trees. We we look at how the the gospel has been watered down and everything. It's because we have stopped looking at fruit as what is ideal and what changes lives. And we want something ornate that looks nice. And so instead we we judge our our churches and our lives by by are are we showing all the good things out? 
I tell you what, and Mary talked before, and I, I've always been very enthusiastic, but it's always been very much in, in private. Because, I, because when, when people would look at me, they're like, we don't raise our hands here. Stop clapping. You're, I, I even remember there was a, a pastor, uh, Morris Holt. I remember his name. He was this, this old retired minister, and we had, and I came from one of the, the third largest churches in the state of Nebraska, in the, in the denomination. Third largest one. 2,600 members in that church. I didn't say 2,600 people showing up for worship in church. I just said they belonged to the church. And on a Sunday morning, it didn't matter who sung or what, what God's word was, whatever the scripture was read, whatever someone sung, whatever came out, as soon as it was done, he rung out, Amen. And it was deafening to hear that word because no one else would do it. There were couples that, that were very much in love that had been you know, married for, for many, many years and they would put their arms over each other because they were in worship together and people would look at them like, we don't do that in church. I digress. But to go back... It's, it's a little out of place in my, in my mind to be dancing and jumping and whatever else because I feel like you're a rock band and you're not supposed to do that in worship. The organ is, of course, what everyone does and you don't even see rocking organists that are just you know, sliding all over. My organist sat in one place and that was it. Some of them played at half tempo so that the song went longer apparently. But it is the outward expression of an inward and spiritual grace to the point that we cannot contain it. And the question I have is, how do so many of us have such an easy time containing it then? There is an environment that we are in that if we will let the Spirit in... We are the change agent. We are the change agent for our families. We are the change agents for our church. We are the change agents in this sanctuary. We are the change agents out in the, out in the, the, the places that we eat, the places of, of business that we attend, the things that we go into. We can be those change agents, but we're somehow too afraid to be the fruit trees and we want to be the, the after effect of the oak trees. There has to be a change. There has to be the boldness that, that, that Bill was alluding to out of Elijah in us. That we can come out of nowhere. No one ever told Elijah, here, we're going to, you're, you're going to be the chosen one. I'm pretty sure Elijah showed up in the scripture because Elijah came out of nowhere and could not take it anymore. The word of God was not going to be if you'll excuse it, bastardized anymore. It was not going to be set aside. It was not going to be oppressed. It was not going to be kept from the, from the people. It was not going to be subjugated to whatever the king wanted to do. It was happening now. It didn't matter if it cost Elijah's life or anyone else's life around him. It was happening now. And sometimes maybe we don't feel like there's enough for us to stand up for, but there is enough for us to stand up for. We are, we are a called people. 
Even if all we have done all of our lives is sit in a pew and God did something for us, we are not the be-all and the end-all of what God's will is. We are the start. God has transformed our lives, our hearts, our souls, our minds, everything else. If we have sought out after God and loved him with all that we are supposed to be, we are called to go out and to spread it elsewhere. Our salvation is not about us. Our salvation is about saving. It's not about saving us. It's about saving. That is what salvation is about. That's, that's what we talked about, the, 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 the armor of God. I get excited. I'm getting older, too. I can't come up with these quite as often. When we talked about the, the, the armor of God, that is because we are to be in battle, actively going out, conquering. When the scripture says we are more than conquerors, we are more than overcomers, we are more than what we have accepted our role to be. We have talked over and over that, that we, what we want is for the spirit to move. And I want the spirit to move, but, but we have to understand that for the spirit to move, we have to stop sticking it in a box. We have to stop putting it in a constraint that this is how we want the spirit to move. The biggest joke in, in, the, in the church I was in before, the denomination, not necessarily a specific church, the, the biggest joke was the fact that we wanted the spirit to move so that we felt nice and, and tingly all over, so that we felt special, but we didn't care about anyone else. We wanted a nice show. It's like we wanted to go to a movie and we want something to move us and make us, make us excited, but 20 minutes later we're going out for, for, for pizza and it's done and it's over. We are meant for more than what we think we are meant for. Amen. You see, we, we, we keep talking about God, God calling the, you know, calling the, not calling the qualified, the qualified cauliflower, but, but qualifying the called. It means that we're not supposed to be set up to do what God wants us to do automatically. I'll tell you what, one of the hardest things to unlearn is when you go to seminary and you come out and you realize that the established church is not winning souls. It does not grow churches. It does not grow Christians. It does not grow anything else because we have stifled it into a box and we forgot what it was like to be on fire for what God was going to do in the lives of others. Every church, unfortunately, gets to a place where where it plateaus. Everyone is satisfied with where it's at and then stops. Now, it may be offensive, but I like this church being small. Now, I don't like the church being small so that I can know everybody. I like it being small because no one likes to come in here and sit in a half-empty sanctuary and think, oh, this is great. You feel like it echoes. Like, I can hear this echo. If, if this place was filled, I would not echo near as badly. I would still echo, let me, let me tell you. But it's the uncomfortability that drives us to doing something more than what we have been doing. There's an old phrase that said, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always 
gotten. We have come to the place that we have done what we've done. Everything else has been done before. Bill keeps talking about it. It doesn't matter what the, what the old was. Do you know why it doesn't matter what the old was? Because the old isn't here anymore. The old isn't, isn't filling this sanctuary with people. It also isn't filled with people that don't have a heart for God anymore. They've gone somewhere else. Maybe they found God somewhere else and, and been, been valuable servants, and that's great, and we're all happy for that. But this is not that place. We are a people that want God to move actively, freely, uninhibited, in whatever way he wants. If you would have told me six years ago that this would have been where I was standing, I would have thought you were nuts. I didn't think Greg was ever going to let me preach. I didn't think I was ever going to be helping lead worship on a regular basis because I stunk as a bass player. I could, I could stay on like two, two strings. Okay, I still play two strings, but I was pretty much learning how to do one. I, it was the easiest stuff that there was. Pluck one note, pluck another note, pluck another. And God said, no, no, no. You've got a plan. You've got a purpose to doing this. And all it took was an, was an empty bass sitting in, a, in, a, in a, a stand for me to go, do you need a bassist? When we open ourselves up to letting God's spirit move, God will transform us like no one else. God will work miracles because we open ourselves up to the miracles and wait for God to move and be willing to do it. Elijah didn't wait for the widow to come to him to feed him. Elijah didn't wait for the widow to show up with her son in order to heal him. Elijah did not wait for Ahab to come to him and say, you know, I'm really having a problem with what's going on, and I'm really kind of confused as whether or not, you know, we're worshiping the right God or not. Uh, Elijah didn't wait for God to move. Elijah moved with God. The desire of our hearts needs to fully be that whatever God wants to do, God's going to make it happen. God's going to make it happen in us because we are willing to let God make it happen in us. We have to stop being content with being passive participants and waiting for God to move, and we have to be willing to let God move me. We're going to end our time. We're, we're going to, we're going to wor- not worship, but we're going to pray. But one of the things that we need to pray about is, is one of the things, there are three kids that God wants to use that are at camp. And there is all sorts of obstacles all week long. And God wants to do something contrary to what Satan wants to have happen. There is fear. Are we going to catch something? Are we going to be sick? Are we going to die? Are we going to do whatever? Whatever doubts that come in, those obstacles are being thrown in there. The last year has has done nothing except to, to make us fear everything else is around, but not realize that God has made a blessing in every single stop. 
What a blessing it was to be able to come on a Sunday morning and have only six people here because that's all you could have was six people and to be able to pray and to worship and to be together and to know that God's Spirit was going to bless those and to have all sorts of people showing up online to be able to see it that wasn't happening before. I'm probably misstating it or or overstating it, but I think that there were probably more hearts being changed out online because God had taken away all of their distractions so that they could hear what God's word was, so that they could worship him in spirit and in truth because they had no other choice. We have to stop looking at the obstacles as the things that keep us from doing it and instead the opportunities that God is going to use for us to start moving. Those those obstacles create space. They create space that, that, was, that was all planned out before and all of the chaos leaves space because everyone goes everywhere and we can move freely about where God wants us to go if we will handle it. We're going to pray for the, for the kids. We're going to pray for the, for the leadership. We're going to pray that, that God's will would be done that Satan would have to take a hike, that the fear would, would, would leave, that whatever that, that's, that's causing them to be distracted, that God would be paramount in their vision, that God would be paramount in their hearts, that God would be doing something out of that fear to bring peace, to bring comfort, to bring a calm in the midst of a chaos that they don't understand. But God is going to under, will be will be able to overshadow all of that. One of the one of the best pieces.